All right, Genesis chapter 30. I'm going to begin reading to you in verse 32. So Jacob is getting ready to leave. He's been with Laban for 20 years. He's worked 14 years for his wives. He's worked six years for his flocks. And he uh, was ready to go back to his own land, to his father's house. And actually, this is where Jacob has to work six more years. So after he's gotten Rachel and Leah, and they've had children Jacob says, I'm ready to go back to my own land, to my own house. And in verse 28, Laban says, name me your wages and I will give it. And so Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I also provide for my own house? And he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flock. Verse 31 there, you shall not give me anything. It it causes me to think back to Abraham when Abraham comes back from the battle and he rescues Lot in Lot's household. And the king of Sodom is there and the king of Sodom says, I will give you all of the spoils of war if you will give me the people. And Abraham says, I'm not going to take anything from you lest you say that you made Abraham rich. And instead of Abraham receiving something from the king of Sodom, the Bible says that Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, the king of Salem. So here is Jacob, and he says to Laban, he said, I shall, you shall not give me anything, but this is what you can do for me. Verse 32, here's, what, here's Jacob's answer. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will be, will be, will, I'm sorry. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Every one that is not speckled or spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Do you understand what just happened? 
So Jacob says, here's what you'll do for me. I don't want you to give me anything. But if you will allow me to work with your flocks, and you'll allow me to have all the speckled and spotted sheep and goats and the brown lambs, in other words, uh, you ever heard black sheep of the family? I'm the black sheep of the family. Black sheep were not real common. They were generally born white with white wool. Jacob says, you give me all the brown ones. You give me all the spotted and speckled ones, and then you keep the rest. And so what Laban did was he had his servants go into all of his flocks, take out all the spotted, speckled, brown, male of the stock, take those three days away, basically saying, okay, this is a really good deal for me. We'll see how you come out on this, Jacob. Verse 37, now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white stripes in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering trough where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all of the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not, and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. In other words, God blessed Jacob's efforts, his work. Now, this is really, to be honest with you, this is kind of a weird story, right? So Jacob took rods, this word, this Hebrew word for rods, like a stick. It's the same word used for like a walking stick. So he took like these big sticks. He cut limbs from poplar trees, from almond trees, and from chestnut trees. He took those green limbs and he peeled the bark away and exposed the white so that if you can envision this, these rods had peeled bark and they were like striped. The rods were striped. And then where the, the sheep and the goats would come to eat and to water, in the watering troughs, Jacob put these streaked rods that he had cut from these trees and he put them in the watering trough so that when the, when the animals were watering, they were looking at these streaked rods. And this was commonly, because all the animals would come together, this was also commonly the place where they would also conceive. And so they would eat and drink and they would mate in front of these streaked rods. And as a result, 
they would produce streaked, spotted, speckled offspring. And Jacob's flocks grew. Now, before you, before you get kind of freaked out and think the Bible's dabbling in witchcraft and, and, and uh, you're going to go home and start cutting limbs from your tree and stripping bark and trying to figure out if you can, you know, um, uh, genetically alter your, your flocks. Hold on a moment, okay? I ask this, I, I, I make this comment quite regularly. What is the point of the Bible? The point of the Bible is to reveal Christ to us. There are all kinds of things in the scripture, things like this that are just weird. And you can spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out what to do with this. But if we just ask ourselves this simple question, how does this reveal Christ? And what does this have to do with Christ? And what does this have to do with the gospel? This isn't magic. This is something God did. God did this. So we've read to the end of, of 30 there. Let me read to you uh, in verse 31. Let's go over to... Now what's happened here... Let me, just, let me just go ahead and read to you the next 16 verses of chapter 31, Okay. And then we're going to talk about all of this. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, so now Jacob's produced this huge flock of sheep. It didn't work out the way Laban thought. Laban took them all away and was thinking, Jacob's going to work forever for me trying to get this flock together. And and, in no time, God blessed Jacob. And now Jacob's got this, he's prospered. And Jacob heard the word of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Laban thought he had Jacob, and now Laban's realized that Jacob has him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father's, and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. Now listen to this, church. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Let your, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. God protected Jacob. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then, the, then the, all the flocks bore streaked. This wasn't magic, this was God. It wasn't witchcraft. It wasn't something that you can go or I can go and reproduce. This was something God sovereignly did. Yes, it was very unusual, but it was so unusual that now Jacob is making a declaration. This is what God has done. When your father said you can have the speckled, then God made them birth all speckled. When God, when your father said you'll have only the streak, then 
God made all of them birth only streaked. Whatever he tried to do to trap me, to rob from me, God took that very thing and turned it around and blessed me. So God, look at verse 9, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap upon the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. So Jacob did this by the inspiration of God. And God caused those flocks to bear the very ones that would end up becoming the blessing for Jacob. And his flocks grew and Laban's flocks decreased because Laban tried to take away and steal and rob from Jacob. But God took what was meant for evil for Jacob, and he worked it together for good. God is not a respecter of persons. God will take what is meant for evil in your life, and he will turn it around, and he will work it for good. So let's go back to this this story, this unusual account of these limbs stripped and striped and put in the water troughs so that the animals began to conceive and produce streaked and spotted offspring. I want to draw your attention back to chapter 30, and I want you to look at verse 41. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock. Jacob placed the rods before the the eyes of the livestock. This is a picture of our transformation that is taking place in Christ. The process by the work of the Spirit that is conforming us to the image of the Son of God. What is set before your eyes is what you are being conformed to, transformed into. God is sets Christ before us in the revelation of him in our heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God reveals Christ to us in a revelation in our heart. Christ is not what we must first see with our eyes, our physical eyes. Christ is who we must first see with our eyes of faith, our spiritual eyes. And only God can open the blindness of our spiritual eyes and reveal his son to us. But when God opens our blind eyes and he reveals Christ to us and he sets Christ before us and reveals Christ before us and we gaze upon Christ, we look upon Christ, we look into that very image of Christ, we are transformed by the power of his spirit as we behold him and we are transformed 
as we are being conformed to the very image of the Son. Romans 8, Paul writes, those who are predestined, are, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Those whom God has foreknown, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. The destiny of the believer is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes these words, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, Paul says, as you look into the mirror, don't see yourself, Christian, see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as you look into the mirror and and are able to see Christ in you because the Father in heaven has opened your blind eyes and has revealed Christ to you, as you look into the face of Jesus, as you gaze upon the image of Jesus, you are being transformed into the very same image. It's not magic, it's the work of the Spirit. You can go out and cut limbs all day long and strip bark and put your animals in front of them all day long. That's not the point. The point is we are being transformed into what we behold. What is before our eyes is what we are being transformed into. So whatever you hold in your gaze, whatever you desire to gaze upon, I didn't say glance upon, I said to gaze upon. Those whose eyes, Isaiah writes, those whose eyes are fixed upon the Lord, he keeps in perfect peace. Those whose eyes are fixed upon the Lord. What are your eyes fixed upon? As you fix your eyes upon Jesus, you are, the scripture declares, being transformed into that same image. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul writes, for it is the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, if we were to right now cut every light off in this room, it would be pitch black in here. And until until your eyes were able to adjust to the little bit of light that might be filtering in under that door or, or from the window in the office there or from under that door until your eyes were able to adjust to that, there would be utter darkness. Why? Because there is no light. Where there is no light, there is no sight. You cannot see without light. You cannot see when there is darkness. And the scripture teaches us that God commanded light, the same God that commanded light to shine in the creation has caused Light. He has commanded light to shine in your heart. What is the point of shining light in your heart? That you may see Jesus. That you may gaze into the face of Jesus and therefore gaze into the very glory of God. This is what light does. Light causes us to be able to see gold or purple or green or red or blue. It's light that enables us to do that. But if there was no light, there would be nothing. We would see nothing. 
quoting the Apostle Paul who quoted the psalm in Romans 3.18. Paul says of the wicked, there is no fear before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Go to Genesis chapter 31. I want to point out two verses. It's interesting the, the way Jacob refers to God in these two verses. Genesis 31, 42. Now him and Laban are getting ready to make a covenant. So what happens is... Jacob eventually leaves and Laban comes after him. And when they reconcile, when it's all said and done and they go their separate ways, they make this covenant. And the act of making this covenant is recorded in the latter part of Genesis 31. But I want to point out verse 42 and verse 53. In verse 42, it says, Unless the God of my father... The God of, this is Jacob talking, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. This is how Jacob refers to God. The God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac. Your King James translation capitalizes fear because it's given there as a title for God. God is called the fear of Isaac. Unless the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Because Laban comes, he said, listen, it's within my power to kill you, but I'm not going to because God appeared to me last night and very clearly told me, don't you say a word to Jacob. Don't you say anything good or bad to him. Basically, you better leave him alone. And Laban says, um, so I'm not going to say anything good or bad to you. And Jacob says, had it not been for the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, had God not been with me, I'd be empty handed right now. But God instead has rebuked you last night. And they make their pact. And then they both swear and says, here's how Laban swears. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Not he was fearful of Isaac. He's talking about God. He's talking about the God whom his father Isaac feared. The fear of Isaac. Isn't that interesting? That was so interesting to me that Jacob refers to God as the fear of Isaac. The psalmist says, and Paul quotes the psalmist, speaking of the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The proverb says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is something about God. God there is something so glorious, so awesome, so powerful. He is so much bigger than we can imagine. He is so much bigger than we are able to see. He is so much mightier and so much more powerful and so strong. And it, it, it dwarfs our imagination. 
I mean, our imagination cannot even begin to reach to the reality of who God is. But by the Spirit of God, God was revealed to Abraham. God was revealed to Isaac. By the Spirit of God, He is revealed to you and to me. And as we continue to look upon Him, to fix our gaze upon Him, our ability to see becomes more clear. And the more clear we are able to see Him, the more clearly we are able to see ourselves. And we realize who we are in relation to who He is. That should create some fear in us, not because God wants us to be fearful of Him in a bad way, but when we see God for who He truly is and we see ourselves for who we truly are, it should make us stand in awe of His grace of his mercy and of his love. That we would even have the privilege, the ability to stand in his presence. Week after week, day after day, we all bring our prayers to the Lord. And we are able to do that only by the grace of God. They are heard, they are accepted, they are acknowledged only by the grace of God. Because only by the grace of God are we not wicked are considered wicked. Only by the grace of God has the fear of God been revealed to us. By the grace of God, we have the fear of God. When God opens our blind eyes and reveals Christ to us, our response should be one of repentance and worship. When we see Christ for who He truly is, utterly holy and utterly righteous and utterly glorious we should see ourselves for who we truly are utterly unholy and utterly unrighteous and utterly dark you once were darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light that's a declaration and a command given by the apostle paul in ephesians 5 8 we once were darkness But the fear of Isaac, the Lord of light and the Lord of glory has made our darkness light in him. Now in Christ, we can walk as children of light because God has opened our blind eyes. He has caused us to see. He has transformed us and he is causing us to be continuously conformed to the glorious image of his son. He does this by the work of His Spirit. He is doing this work in you right now. He is doing this work in me right now. He's using the very scriptures we're talking about right now. He's using the very circumstances of your life right now. Good, bad, or ugly. He's using everything. He never wastes one Thing And he is ever working in the hearts and the minds and the lives of his children, conforming them to the image of the Son of God. Our transformation comes from what we see. If your eyes are fixed on Christ, then Christ is who you are being transformed by. And it's his image you are being transformed or conformed into.
So Jacob, by the blessing of God, builds this huge flock. And he has taken the flocks of Laban. God has given those flocks to Jacob. And look at verse 9, chapter 31. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. This is Jacob talking to his wives, Leah and Rachel, as they are getting ready to leave. Now let's go down to verse 14. We read down to verse 13. And Jacob is explaining to Leah and to Rachel what's happened. Jacob's like, look, God did this. Whatever your father tried to do to hurt me, God would take it and he would bless me. He'd make them be birthed, whatever it was. And he says, God has taken the flocks of your father and has given them to me. Verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? They're asking a question. And the answer is no. Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Whatever God has said to you, do it. Ah, that's a powerful statement. What has God said to you recently? What has God said to you in His Word? Are you willing to do whatever God has said for us to do? So Rachel and Leah's inheritance was no longer in Laban's house. It was now where? Where was their inheritance now? It was in Jacob and in his house. Just as our inheritance is now in Christ, whose house we are. Hebrews 3.6 says Christ is Lord over his house, whose house we are. The inheritance has been given to Christ. We partake of his inheritance only as we have come to be joined to Christ. And so made partakers of the inheritance we obtain in him. Listen, we need to understand this. Because there's a whole lot of wacky teaching out there. There's a lot of wrong teaching out there. We do not have an inheritance in and of ourselves from God. You need to understand this. So the word of faith, prosperity people say, name it and claim it. You can see it, you can have it. You can speak it. God's given you the power of creation. You can speak it into existence. You can create it through the words of your mouth. You can create it through your faith. Listen, the point of these these stories that we're reading, the point of God's history recorded here of how he dealt with his children is not about us. It's about Christ. It's for us. We have an inheritance, but we do not have an inheritance in and of ourselves. Listen, Leah and Rachel did not have an inheritance anymore. Their father used up their inheritance. Their father, in an effort to try to steal from Jacob, God took their inheritance and gave it to Jacob. 
the only way Leah and Rachel would now have an inheritance was by the fact that they were joined to Jacob. The only way you and I have an inheritance today from God is only if we are joined to Christ, the Son of God. The inheritance belongs to the Son. Now the Bible says we have an inheritance. The Bible calls us joint heirs, but it's joint. And it's only as we have come to be joined to the one who has received the inheritance. So let me read a scripture to you. Ephesians 1, verse 11 through 14. Paul writes, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The inheritance has been given to Christ. We partake of his inheritance only as we have come to be joined to Christ and so made partakers of the inheritance that we obtain in him. Our inheritance is no longer in or of this world, but it is only now in Christ. And who is, our, who is Christ? He is our bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ. The Bible says as the church, we are called the bride of Christ. How did Leah and Rachel, remember I told you a couple of weeks ago, Leah and Rachel were a picture of the church. It's a picture of this bride. How did Leah and Rachel come into their inheritance? Because they were joined to a bridegroom, because they became the bride, the wife of Jacob. Who did God give the inheritance to? He gave it to Jacob. And Leah and Rachel became partakers of it because they were joined to Jacob. God the Father has given the inheritance to Christ and we become partakers of it because we are joined to Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You can spend the rest of your life trying to become meek and inherit the earth. And I'm not saying you should not desire to be meek. But understand this, Christ is the meek one that shall inherit the earth and we shall inherit it with him because we are in him. You're going to inherit a lot more than you think, a lot more than you know. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. And that fullness and the earth and all of creation has been given to the Lord of glory, the, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are joined to him, that becomes your inheritance in him, with him. So our inheritance, <clears throat> our inheritance is in Christ. Our transformation is in Christ. Our inheritance is is in Christ. So Leah and Rachel, they said, we considered strangers in our father's house. He sold us. Do you hear that? He sold us 
and also completely consumed our money. Sounds like a couple of bitter daughters here. Now, I don't know if they were bitter. They were just speaking the truth. And life can often deal us a bitter hand. And God is sovereign over the bitterness that comes to us in life. And he knows how to redeem us from the bitterness of life. And they said, our father has sold us and completely consumed our inheritance. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. This is what Jacob's wives told Jacob. Whatever God said to you, do it. Because God's taken it from our father and left us nothing. So whatever God has said, do it. In other words, we're going to put our trust in God. We're going to put our trust in you. We're going to look to you, Jacob. We're going to trust God has spoken to you. Our, Our hope is in you. Listen, I don't know what bitterness life has dealt you, but is your hope in Christ? Is your hope in the only one that can redeem you from the bitterness, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, and whatever situation, whatever circumstance, it might be first and foremost in your mind, what you need to understand is that what God has truly redeemed you from is a life of sin and death. He has redeemed you from utter and complete hopelessness that's what God has done we were possessed by sin and death under the cruel hand of Satan but Christ has redeemed us we have been bought with a price and we are not our own but we belong to Jesus Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul is writing and telling him to abstain from sexual immorality. He says, look, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we need to understand this in in all of the context that it's given here. We belong to Jesus We don't belong to sin any longer. If you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you don't belong to sin. You don't belong to death. You do not belong to Satan any longer. Stop presenting your members as slaves to sin. Stop presenting your members to those who you do not belong to any longer and recognize that you have been redeemed. You are now in Christ, a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things are new. Now, the Bible says, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's, for, that's 2 Corinthians five seventeen and 18. God has reconciled us to himself. We are redeemed in Christ. I want you to think about that. God has reconciled us to himself. God was not obligated to do that. There was nothing in and of us to make God want to do that. God reconciled us in himself through Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. 
and for his glory. So outside of Christ, we have nothing. There is no transformation. There is no inheritance. There is no redemption. There is no hope. But in Christ, we have been transformed. In Christ, we have our inheritance. In Christ, we have been redeemed. In ourself, we have nothing and we are without hope. But in Christ, we have been redeemed. We have an inheritance and we have a transformation that has taken place. In Christ, we have gone from darkness into light. Are you hearing me, church? We've gone from being estranged into becoming his children. We've gone from being a possession of Satan into the redeemed bride of the Lamb. You are his bride. And in him you have obtained an inheritance. So we have no reason to live without hope. We have nothing but hope in Christ. Satan no longer owns us and no longer has power over us through sin and death. Christ has overcome all and he has gotten us the victory. In him we are more than conquerors, the scripture declares. Know that in Christ you are transformed and being conformed to the image of the Son. Know that you have an eternal inheritance in him and that you have been redeemed by the most precious blood of Jesus. You not only are not Satan's any longer, but you are not even your own. God has not only protected you from Satan, but he has protected you from yourself. Because you are just as much an enemy to yourself than, the, than Satan is. You don't belong to him. You don't even belong to yourself. The scripture says you now belong to Christ. And God has reconciled you to himself through Jesus Christ. You have rightly come into the presence of the Father through the redeeming blood of Christ. And in that truth, we have nothing but hope. Do you have hope? Do you have hope that you are transformed in Christ? That you have an inheritance in Christ? That you have been redeemed in Jesus Christ. So here's my challenge to you today, church. I challenge you to look at that, at what you have in Christ, not at what you lack that is of this world. Do you hear me? I challenge you to look at what you have in Christ, not what you lack that is of this world. I challenge any empathy or complacent attitude toward Christ and His church. I challenge any uninspired lack of wonder at who God is and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I challenge the pull of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that would draw our hearts and our minds away from Christ and place our hope in worldly ways, in worldly things. I challenge you to live like you have been truly spiritually transformed, like you have been given a priceless and eternal inheritance and redeemed with the highest possible price to the highest possible place in Christ. Why? Because you have. 
because you have all of these things and more in Christ. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Would you please stand? And we will pray. Father, I pray that you would, as only you can, and only by your Spirit, give us a revelation. A revelation of your truth. A revelation of your word. A revelation of Christ. God set before us Christ. Open our eyes wide to see Jesus Christ. Open our eyes. Heal us of our blindness that we might see Christ, that we might fix our gaze upon Him and be changed and transformed into the very same image. Father, we confess our sinfulness in thought and in deed, in complacency and complicity. We confess our sin knowing that you are faithful and just to hear us, to cleanse us and to forgive us in Christ. We confess our falling short with this boldness and with this confidence that as he is, so are we in this world. We confess this is true only By the grace of God, in the blood of Jesus, our advocate that cleanses us and makes us holy. Father, do your work in us that only you can do by your spirit. Give us your zeal for your church and for your name in your son. And let that zeal of God change us forever. And let it bring glory and honor to you, to your name. World without end for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.